0: Welcome to Grails, a podcast by Alton Insights. My name is John Tunger, and on today's episode, we are talking with Jerome Sapp. He is the founder and CEO of Rares. They're a platform that lets you fractionally invest in some of the rarest sneakers in the world, like their stocks. You may have heard of them in the news. They're the company that acquired a pair of Yeezys for $1.8 million, shattering the record for most valuable sneakers by almost 3x. You can check out the platform yourself at rares.io, rares.io, but you're going to love this interview with Jerome. Not only did he play safety in the NFL, drafted by the Baltimore Ravens, and then later Playing for the Colts, but while playing in the NFL in the offseason, he also went to Harvard Business School. Yeah, that's some uh, good diversified experience right there. And he's reinventing himself here with the Rares, looking at sneakers as the future alternative asset that is going to continue to blow up. And before we get started, if you haven't already, on Apple, if you could click subscribe or on Spotify, click follow. That helps get this podcast out there for more people to hear it. And if more people hear it, that's where Russell, CEO of Alton Insights, will let us continue to do different and cooler type of episodes, bringing you more content in the alternative asset space. So please go and click follow or subscribe. But that is enough for self-promotion. Jerome Sapp, CEO and founder of Rares. Let's get started.
1: So, the origin of rares, you know, it's interesting. You know, the, the short answer to that is, you know, actually, when I was in the NFL in the offseason, when my teammates were frolicking around the world, I was at Cambridge getting my MBA at Harvard Business School, um, focused on finance and specifically derivatives. <laughs> and we got into alternative assets and the potential of alternative asset investing. So, I remember literally on the way to class one day, someone stepped up, accidentally stepped on. A brand new pair of my Jordan 11s, you know, and they were clean too. I remember looking down thinking, man, like this, this is a problem. But I was like, man, there's gotta be a better way to 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 derive value out of these shoes without having to physically own them. Um, and I knew at that point sneakers were, were, starting, well, were already an asset class in the hood. Like we valued sneakers like gold already where I came from in Houston. Um, So it was just the secondary market was starting to take note of the secondary value appreciation of them. So I I knew it was an asset class. So I was like, man, there's got to be a better way. And I was like, man, what if you could turn these sneakers into stocks where people can invest in them just like any other security and essentially leverage the appreciation effect of the sneaker? Because I knew these sneakers were at that time even, you know, appreciation, appreciating faster than gold and other, you know, traditional commodities. So that's where rares actually first took, got implanted in me was in a classroom at Harvard business school.
0: Wow. And then what was the next step to actually, I feel like from there to getting regulation approval and everything is, is quite a feat.
1: Oh yeah. So that, that was just the beginning. So, you know, unfortunately the, 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 the laws and regulations wouldn't allow me to do rares at that point. So, you know, four years ago, um, the, the concept reemerged. I, I believe StockX just came out. Um, and I remember they started advertising themselves as a stock market for sneakers. And I was like, man, you know, I, I see what they're doing and I love what they're doing. It, it literally opened the door for companies like me to come in because it, it, it was the first platform to, to centralize pricing around a particular sneaker. Right. And once you centralize pricing and people can agree on that price, then I felt you could securitize it and people can always point back to a centralized price for what that security is worth. Essentially they didn't create the stock market for sneakers, but they created the pricing model for how you could potentially value that sneaker in a stock market. So I said, Oh man, my concept, like, man, this would be perfect. Like I can actually create a stock market for sneakers. And at that time, reg a was out. I think, um, I think Rally Road had just launched with mm. automobiles, collectible automobiles at the time. And I was like, man, this is what I want to do. But for sneakers, though, like, right. so I literally went out and pitched the concept and, you know, to all those entrepreneurs out there, don't give up. Like, I was told no 87 times. And I think the police were called on me one time at one VC, you know, just, just crazy. Like, <laughs> like, it was a crazy, crazy time, like. People didn't understand. They couldn't, you know, no, no pun intended. Couldn't think outside the sneaker box of what was possible with sneakers because it's a sneaker, right? They they couldn't see it as a commodity or even now a piece of artwork.
0: Even with Stock X, they couldn't they couldn't get there. They they just even with Stock X starting to gain traction, they just they couldn't see it.
1: Wow. No, um, because. It was two different models with StockX. It was StockX was, you know, no disrespect to StockX, but it was just a glorified eBay for sneakers at the time. You know what I'm saying? Like it was, it was still a a a retail site basically. Well, I guess you could buy and trade, trade, but literally like trade a sneaker, not
0: like trade securities like sneaker. You know, like even when they say they're a stock market for sneakers, you're like, well, kind of. But now with fractional, it's like that's act. You know, with stocks, I don't sit here and own my physical copy of my certificate of a stock. We're there, you own the shoe, exactly. but you guys are actually a stock market it, for sneakers.
1: It, exactly. We're actually a stock market for sneakers. We're actually regulated by the SEC. All of our sneakers are qualified by the SEC to actually be securities that we can actually fractionalize. So you're actually buying fractional ownership in the shoe, just like you would in a company um, that goes public. So that's completely different than StockX and GOAT and all of those amazing platforms. You know, even though they're amazing, it's still technically very different. Um, so to answer your, your question, no, they couldn't see it. And, you know, they just looked at Jordans as this kind of underground urban thing that I was trying to push on them as a potential commodity that could be securitized. And they were like, no, they no, you know. And, you know, it was one of those things where was like, all right, well, I have to show you then, you know, some things people you can tell people, but other other things you just have to show them. So I stopped pitching it. um, And and then at that point, I was like, okay, well, I'm I'm actually early enough where no one's doing this. So let me stop pitching my idea and let me work on creating my idea. Um, So I guess three years later, the pandemic hit uh, four years later or uh, three years later, because we're a year into the company now. Uh, the pandemic hit and we were all at home bored and, and I was like, man, this is the time to do it. So literally, um, I called one of my best friends, um, who was a COO of a, there's a major tech company in the Silicon Valley. And I said, Hey, remember that sneaker concept I was telling you about? He was like, yeah. I said, let's do it, man. So within a week he quit his job, making half a million dollars a year and joined me to be my COO, um. And literally we built it from the ground up. You know, we hired all the tech people. Um, I think our CTO was our our third hire and we built it from the the ground up. But the one thing we wanted to do was make sure that, you know, with this fractionalized ownership, we wanted to create liquidity. We wanted to make sure people had a liquid market that they could invest in, you know, because if you can't pull your money out whenever you want to, um, or at least, you know, uh, you know, at, at times you you normally would be able to pull your money out of any other investment, then people wouldn't, you know, mass gravitate towards it. So the first thing we built was a patent pending trading engine. Um, that's actually, you know, we have patent protection on now. So wow. basically once we open up to secondary trading, you know, liquidity won't be an issue. We'll have 24 hour trading windows and all that kind of stuff. So we built it right from the ground up and, you know, obviously we had to get regulated by the SEC, which was a challenge, but it was something that was easier than I thought it was gonna be. Um, And we navigated that challenge. Um, So it was relatively hard. (laughs) Um, But you know, with anything, like anything else, you know, if you have a good team and and you yourself are really focused in on the the task, then, you know, it it becomes like everything else. So, and and we launched. Um, Techstars came knocking on our door. Actually, when it was just a concept and they were like, hey, you know, we've heard through some investors, actually a, potent, a potential investor of yours um, about your concept. And we think it's great. And they invited us into the program, um, the Techstars wow. LA program, which is a music yeah. focus, uh, w- which was huge. I mean, I think that was the first validation that, man, like you're onto to something, you know, you're really, really on to something like. What that program do for you yeah, that's a good question, man. That that program, you know, uh, first, I just want to say thank you to the Techstars people, um, Bob, Jen, and all those people over at Techstars LA. But th- for the first time, you saw what it was like on the other side of of success, right? You saw mm-hmm. what a company, you you saw what it was like to have support from a support network. Um, you saw what it was like to have people want to see your startup really succeed and actually put in the time and attention to the detail, even to your pitch, you know, we'd have these pitch sessions that, you know, where <laughs> we just, they, they wanted to make sure you honed in everything on your company down to the pitch. It had to be perfect, you know? Um, yeah. but what came with that was a relationship with the music industry, um, because it was a music focus. Um, so we have Warner music group as an investor. Now, um, Concord media is one of our investors. So what that allows us to do when we're ready, um, is it really open up to, to artists and when artists perform being able to IPO the sneakers that they performed in on stage. So we'll get to that pretty soon, actually. But wow. we have all those relationships ready to go. Uh, but the biggest thing was just to support, you know, the, the, the crossing the T's and the dotting the I, making sure that you didn't miss anything as a founder and your team didn't miss anything. Uh, that was the biggest, I think, advantage of tech stars and really making sure you're ready to enter the market.
0: Well, okay, and I remember when you guys did launch, and this makes sense even more with the music connections. You go and big splash. You're right, boom! This acquisition of of the Yeezys, right? And three x the record. You guys, I I remember for a couple days, right? You owns that that little media cycle in our alternative asset ecosystem world. Why those sneakers for the first big splash? What was the strategy behind those?
1: that's a good question why the the Yeezy one prototype sneaker there's a lot of reasons why um, so I'll get to the I get to the human reason why you know the personal reason um, I remember I was retiring from the NFL in 2008 and I remember watching that performance Yeezy was wearing those sneakers and you know like all athletes or anyone who's done something for a long time and you retire from it or you have to stop doing it there's a sense of now what you know it doesn't really matter what you're going into next you know how good or bad it is um you have a sense of identity attached to that so with me retiring from the nfl you know i've been a football player my whole life you know even though i was educated and all that it was a sense of now what and i remember watching that kanye performance of the grammys the 2008 grammys and i remember all the hype around the sneakers and i remember Kanye basically kind of coming out to be a superstar at that point. and so for me, the and he did it in in fashion, right? He had his hand in designing those shoes, and those shoes were a first. That was the first time Nike did any collaboration with a with a musician. you know, before then it was all athletes. So for me, that represented kind of this this new beginning, but a but, but with a bigger, brighter future, kind of something biggers to come. If Kanye can do it, kind of so can I. You know, Kanye reinvented himself with sneakers and fashion, and now he's a billionaire because of it. Right. Um, so for me, it was like, okay, you know, I, I can be an entrepreneur and I want to be an entrepreneur. And though it's a, you know, I've never done that before. I think I'm I'm ready for that. I, I think I can handle that. So. That was the personal connection for me mm. in that sneaker. Now, from an industry perspective, <laughs> that is the grail. You know, I, I mean, that shoe was a first of. That shoe set the tone for how Nike and all these brands operate now, with with rappers and other celebrities being, you know, collab partners with a sneaker. Um, and that shoe was the prototype, literally the prototype for that. So when you talk about a grill and you talk about a a company that's called rares (laughs) that, 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 you know, tends that operates around the rarest sneakers in the world, that was the sneaker we needed to get. So, you know, Sotheby's and I, um, Bram over at Sotheby's and I, um, we got to talking and we, we came to a deal, we came to a price. um, And the hardest part about it was, was keeping it secret for (laughs) for a month, I think. Um, But we knew we wanted to make a big splash into the the industry, into the market, into the world. Um, and what better way to do that? You know, the funny thing is, from an academic standpoint, while we we're in TechStars, I, I consider TechStars the the Entrepreneur College kind of. Um, they were hounding us on what's our go to market strategy. I remember this like they were like, guys, you got to come up with a go to market strategy. Like, I'm worried you guys are gonna. Missed the opportunity because you don't have a go-to-market strategy. I was like, "Listen, we got go to go-to-market strategy, okay? Don't worry yeah. about it." So the day we launched the, the 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 news to the world, I mean, it was it was like everything instantly changed in terms of just our company, you know, how investors viewed us, how the world viewed us, um, because we actually had a, a a product behind it too. Like we had the, the platform built already; we we're just waiting to launch it. Um, So, you know, that actually worked out brilliantly, actually. Um, You know, we still have the shoe. We actually have um, some major plans on how we're going to IPO that shoe. So for me, it was also, you know, that shoe has been in collector's hands, collector's hands, and it was actually sitting in a museum um, in Hong Kong. And it was almost like, man, this shoe needs to be, the the public needs to own a piece of this. Because a lot of the communities and cultures that made that sneaker what it is, shoot, made the sneaker industry what it is from a value proposition and from a popularity standpoint, were sometimes or oftentimes left out of the value proposition, especially mm-hmm. the secondary value proposition. So the ability to now acquire that shoe, split it up into literally 72,000 shares and allow people to, to purchase those shares for $25 a share to now Kind of come back into the the industry, come back into the market and participate financially for twenty five dollars. That yeah. was something that we wanted to do. Something something that I wanted to do um, from a cultural, from a community standpoint, and just for the the alternative asset industry. I mean, I think you know making that statement with that sneaker, uh, with that amount, was something that um that worked out well for us. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I love going behind the scenes to some of like the negotiations and things behind these different assets. And you said something there where you're like, Yeah, we were negotiating the price with uh, Sotheby's. And, you know, especially with this price, you'll get some yep. some haters out there that are like, Hey, this is three X. Are you just doing a PR push? Like, so one, I want to give you a chance to be able to defend the price and talk about how that came to be. But what is that yep. negotiation like? Like you show up there <laughs> and you're like, hey these are the sneakers I want. Um, there's no comps. I'm throwing out this price right here. Like, how did that go down?
1: Well, actually Bram called me Bram and I at Sotheby's have a really good relationship. Um, he's like, Hey, I got an idea. And I was like, what's your idea, man? So he told me about the sneaker and I was like, I, I wasn't even aware that this, they had the sneaker. Um, cause I was, you know, head down knee deep and in and, and building rares up and, you know, like, all the other the startup stuff startup world right and i was like oh man you have that sneaker i know that sneaker and he was like hey let's make a deal let's let's do let's do this why, why don't you know like why don't you guys buy the sneaker like and i was like nah. so i was like well how much are you selling it for and i mean i can't tell you those details but it was over two million i'll tell you that much um initially wow. you're like what <laughs> so you know I, yeah, it was over two million. And you know, my first offer was like fifty dollars. You know what I'm saying? You know, I like low bottom. <laughs> <laughs> I like super low bottom. I'll, I'll give you $25, man. You know, like um so we we met somewhere in the middle <laughs> from over two million to for $25. So um yeah, it, it was it was a quick negotiation actually. Actually, it was two days, you know, we went back and forth. Um, they gave a lot. You know, we, we came up more than we wanted to. But at the end of the day, um, you know, I I think that's the vantage point. You have to look at it from a vantage point of art. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, did, did we, did we pay too much? Did we pay too little? Did we pay right where it was supposed to be? I mean, if that was a piece of artwork, would we be still having the same conversation? That's the question I ask people, you know what I'm saying? Like if this was a Warhol or Matisse and, you know, obviously no disrespect to Warhol or Matisse, you know, like. But to this generation, that is a Warhol or Matisse in terms of you know the sneaker industry and sneakers and grails. That's what they value. That's what they can relate to. You know, so it depends on the the vantage point and the eyes you're looking at it from. You know, Um, this is a unique piece of of of, it's a sneaker, but it's unique. It's it's it, it created the industry that you know today as the sneaker industry or the new revolution of the sneaker industry in terms of collabs and stuff. So this right. was the shoe that did that. So, you know, we, we can have arguments all day on the pricing and too much, too little. Um, but at the end of the day, I just ask people, if it was a piece of artwork, would you look at it the same way? If it wasn't as a sneaker and it was something hanging on the wall and, in, in you know, the Louvre, would you, would you, would you question it that much? So, um, that, that that debate will always be had, but at the end of the day, it was something um, that I wanted to do personally. Um, as I just mentioned, there was a personal connection to that shoe. Also, it was the grail and is the grail um of the sneaker industry. And for us to be called Rares and launch into this ultra-alternative, you know, we had to, we had to buy that shoe. So um yeah. we'd do it again too if we if we had that opportunity.
0: Well, and even like your name says Rares. What's crazy is a lot of the shoes that you have are so rare that trying to look at different comps, right? It's not even just those. It's the, yep. the Jay-Z yep. or Kobe Friends and Family Air Force yep. ones, right? Where, where you're looking at these like, are there yep. comps? Not really. So when it comes to pricing, yeah. maybe things that aren't as big as you know the Yeezys, but do mm-hmm. you pull in other experts? Like how, how does the pricing conversation work for those who are looking at the prices saying, hey, I, I think I trust these guys. Sure. This is a good investment where, where does that start on your end for these such rare items?
1: Yeah, well, absolutely. So you, you hit it on the head. There's no comps to most of our shoes. Most of our shoes, if it's, it's either one of one of one or one of two and that other, that other one is, you know, in Nike's, you know, museum, basically, literally (laughs) or in a museum. Um, Literally we have a few shoes. If we, is this another one that's in a museum? So That's an interesting question. We have our own ways of valuing shoes internally. Um, Obviously, we know that's not qualified yet, so we don't really, you know, promote that. But Mm -hmm. we have our ways of basically saying, okay, here are the comps of everything of value, uh, you know, in uh, this type of shoe that's ever sold. Right. And we put that into our calculations or whatever. But at the end of the day, you're right. If there's no comps, it's basically like, hey, this new uh, sneaker dealer, this sneaker dealer hey what what would you sell this shoe for um okay, all right, well, that's basically aligns what what our calculations are, so we're not too far off right. um okay, well, w- what did something like this sell for under the climate of this this market right you know, whenever the market was like this before like Um, okay. Okay. Well, we're not too far off. So we, we do try to do a good job of leveraging everything against our internal calculations to make sure we're not too far off basically. So that's how we come to the pricing that we do.
0: When you get, when you're looking at the future of the different sneaker market, what are you seeing as like the segment that will really be driving it forward? So, you know, sports memorabilia, or heck you even were talking about music artist connections that were worn, you know, live shows. Um, yep. You know what? What kind of is it? Just more rare samples? What do you think is that segment that'll continue to drive the market forward?
1: Yeah, that, that's a great question. The segment that'll drive the market forward, um, I, I believe you. You just touched on it. The last thing you said was rare samples. Samples will always be the thing that people covet most because it's a sample, right? There's nothing else like that. Um, also, so that's one samples. The the other thing is, I think YouTubers will get into this and basically mm-hmm. celebrity collabs. Um, Right now, the collab industry, I mean, you have Pharrell's, Adidas, you have obviously Kanye and the Yeezy, obviously Jordan's, the grandfather, um, Kobe's. Um, but, you know, like P.J. Tucker, you know, P.J. Tucker is, is a new kind of new age kind of yeah. sneaker kind of father, you know. Um, so I, I think I think this is going to, you know, gravitate into like the, the the YouTube world where these YouTubers are going to start getting collabs with, with sneaker companies. And I think that's gonna drive prices crazy, you know, cause YouTubers are boxing now, <laughs> whoever thought that, right? right. Um, so give them a sneaker that they wear out to their boxing match, right? And then you have something crazy. So I, I think it's really attaching to, you know, public popularity, you know, I, I think the sneaker industry is, is doing a good job of that already. Um, so now it's just a matter in the future what is the the industries that are popular? And I think YouTube and social media personalities are going to be the new kind of collabs that people go after, as well as athletes, right? I mean, sports, it will always have a a place in people's hearts. Um, But with the new generation, Anyone can be a, a celebrity on, on online, so I think that's going to be where the, the collabs come in to, to really drive value in the, in the sneaker industry, as, as well as the, the samples. Um, samples will always,
0: yeah, and that makes a lot of sense. Like we we make the argument for even sports cards or <laughs> Pokemon cards stuff like that, but how much more the kids who are younger than us, early twenties, uh, when they get older and they're like, I can invest in bonds, right? The classic argument. Yep. Or yep. something like this, right? Which is like I don't even understand what that means, but I can invest in this. And obviously, there's a lot more that like go into bonds, yada yada. But you know, I use that as a an investing example that they don't understand compared to something that they do. And I think that's going to be sneakers before it's Pokemon cards.
1: Oh, oh, absolutely. I mean, you you think of um, you know, people invest in what they know. But more so, more over than that is people invest in not only what they know, but I think. They invest in things that they feel are making an effort to know them back. Um, so what what industries or are, are, are something that are, that are relating to them or, or feel like they're doing a good job of trying to talk to them? And, you know, the, the stock market, for the most part, to, to the younger generation coming up is like the, the grandfather's deal. Like that's right. like their game to play in. It's kind of this obscure kind of thing that, you know, you don't really know much about. They don't really give you much information about. You got to go digging for it to be successful at it. Right. Um, whereas sneakers or handbags or, you know what I'm saying? Like, I know that, right? I, I You know, I, I know that world. You know, even if you don't know sneakers, you have a certain familiarity with sneakers. Everyone does from childhood, you know, um, you know, the basics of it. So now if I'm telling you this sneaker is a commodity because of this, this, this and this, okay, well, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, that makes sense. And I already have a familiarity with it, so now I can make money off of it. So it's it's something that's tangible and relatable and something that's digestible, I think. And I think yeah. that's why these alternative assets, especially sneakers, I think will be the future. I mean, I, like as I mentioned, it'll be the next, the new Warhols, right? I mean, to that generation, Warhols, that, that meant something. And no disrespect to Warhols, you know, those are awesome. But to this generation a sneaker they look at a sneaker and they see a million different things that speak to them out of that right. one sneaker the right. same way that old gener older generation looked at a piece of artwork and saw the same thing so right yeah i think we're in a good place right Sample now 10
0: kids <laughs> under 20 and will they know who warhol is maybe one you know exactly
1: exactly <laughs> um, do they know what a jordan one is <laughs> right. right
0: and they're like yes i do yeah <laughs> so you guys just, uh, this podcast will be out tomorrow. Um, so I want to give you a chance to be able to hype up the, the new sample you guys have. You guys just released one this week. Uh, talk about that. Why is yep. that one so, so special?
1: Yeah, well, we we just, at Rares, we just dropped a, a 1985 um, Jordan uh, Jordan 1 low metallic blue. So that shoe is super rare because, you know, for the most part, the the high top and the mid top Jordans were the ones that everyone coveted back in the '80s, and the low tops were the ones that people kind of shunned. So, the low tops didn't get a lot of love for a long time. But now, with you know Travis Scott's lows coming out and the low, the Jordan lows, you know, really, really kind of making a, a comeback, the 1985 Jordan One low now is even more coveted. So, the fact that we have one and it's in you know it's in pristine condition um you know it's it's a really really rare shoe and the metallic blue was a popular colorway so that colorway is obviously you know one that also increases the value of the shoe so that's the shoe that we dropped this week um and it's yeah if you want a piece of it you know i I gotta be careful i gotta be (laughs) careful what what i say how i say
0: it you're like i think uh the opportunity could be not formal financial advice good
1: Yeah. So so basically yeah, if if, if you want to check it out, check it out on rares, the the Jordan 1 1985 Jordan 1 metallic blue low. It's a super rare sneaker and I think um I think you'll like it.
0: Yep. I got to ask a selfish question on my end. Do you just have like some yep. you know old NFL friends or NFL connections where you're just like, "Hey man, can you just sign this for me or hey, can you uh you could just send me those after that big game right there? Like, do you just you have you ever like, what? I gotta yeah. call in a favor right here? <laughs>
1: Well, I did play with Peyton Manning and Dion Sanders for a while, so I, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not trying to tip my hand, but I will call in favors eventually from those guys and Ray Lewis <laughs> yeah. and the rest of them. So, we'll we'll have some pretty unique kind of game worn kind of autograph stuff coming up on the site pretty soon. Yeah, dude, just some
0: Peyton Manning. <laughs> New Balance dad shoes just signed, is what I'm imagining. When you yeah, say, that. No, the,
1: <laughs> the, I do too, actually, which is funny. But Peyton used to wear the old Reebok pumps, the, the moon boots that went up to his calves. You know what I'm saying? Oh, man. <laughs> That's probably why he was so slow on the field. Them shoes went all the way up to his calf muscles. But <laughs> yeah, he. <laughs> so we may have some of those old Reebok pumps on the
0: site. For the lawyers in the back, a quick disclaimer. You understand that by listening to this podcast, you're not receiving financial advice. No content published here constitutes a recommendation that any particular security transaction or investment strategy is suitable for any specific person. You alone are solely responsible for determining whether an investment security or strategy or any other product or service is appropriate or suitable for you based on your investment objectives and personal financial situation. Please speak with a financial advisor to understand if the risks inherent in trading are appropriate for you trade at your own risk bom